Hey, well, hey, listeners. This is Ryan Lister. I'm here with Todd Miles. Uh, thank you for joining us for Food Trucks in Babylon this December episode. And so this this time around, we actually want to be somewhat seasonal. Uh, we want to be thinking about this idea of Christmas and what's coming. And so uh, maybe even seeing this podcast as a, as a present to you guys. And it's a present to us to have. Did you see that segue? I did. The present did. to us impressive. to have our current speaker and talker and interviewer with us, Mr. Champ Thornton. Excuse me, Dr. Champ Thornton. How does that sound? <laughs> this new. Oh, I, well, I insist every podcast I'm yes. on, you've got to get it right. And, uh, <laughs> my wife doesn't appreciate it. Ought to make her uh, call me Dr. But that's, yes, yeah. yes. And that's a great way to end a marriage. And, yeah. and <laughs> yes, yes. You know, don't I, do that. <laughs> I, I've tried that with my kids. It has not caught on yet. I, I, yeah, I, I no. cannot. I cannot get them to call me Dr. Miles. <laughs> I got my kids calling me Dr. Doom. So that's about as far as we've oh, gotten. Wow, so, but nice. which I kind of like. Okay. Yeah, kinda I like. can see that. Yeah. But but let's talk about Champ instead of uh, instead of uh, all or all of these things here. Um, so Champ, you are a pastor in Delaware. So we're in Delaware. Uh, we're in the northern tip of Delaware and not far from Philadelphia. And it's uh, it's in the town of Newark. Newark. So I got to tell you. So there's a Newark, and that's New Jersey, New Jersey. but Ogletown, but Delaware is close enough to New Jersey that we are definitely not new jersey okay and so, you, you uh, make that claim that's on that your that's on your state sign that's on your city not sign. new jersey that's it not, not new not, jersey exactly. not new jersey it's on the license plate that's right yeah. <laughs> and it's and the name of your church is it, yeah i Ogletown. said it a minute ago it's ogletown uh yeah. there was a guy thomas ogle lived in the area and so we picked up the name back in the 1700s that's great and your trajectory to to delaware was south carolina yeah. Yeah, we live. We've been here for about ten for almost ten years, and before that, we were in a Columbus, Ohio, okay. and we're there writing curriculum for about four years or so. And then before that, I was pastoring in South Carolina. Man, Very good. man it's like a South Carolina reunion. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. The sand lappers are taking over. No one knows what that means. <laughs> I, 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 that was totally lost on me. It's as it should be. You guys are beavers in okay. Oregon. Yes, and we well, are sand lappers. Okay. Yeah, and moving right along, and now that we've lost most of our uh, our audience, audience here. sand lappers. <laughs> let's start. Sand lappers. Let's start with this. Let's start with this, Champ. Champ is not your given name. You are, if you're okay with me blowing you up here, yeah, you yeah. are George Thomas Thornton the second. Yep. How did you become Champ? What's the story yeah. behind that? So, I mean, I'd love to say that it was this great sporting thing in high school or something like that, sure. but I, I had nothing to do with this. So my mom and dad uh, had a little girl. I was born to them about a year before I was born and she was born premature and she lived, I think, less than a day and, and passed mm. away. And so then here I come along about a year later and I'm also uh, premature and this is back in the 70s and technology being what it was then for medicine it wasn't as much as it is today and they didn't know if i was going to live so uh, my mom prayed and fasted and sought the lord that he would spare my life and the doctors were like ah oh, he's a champ he'll make it and uh it just kind of stuck so, nice okay. okay so your name is a testimony to god's goodness and providence there yeah yeah i'm uh it's a good reminder, and it's so funny. I, I know it's a strange, a strange name, but uh, it's been I've been called that my entire life, so it just uh, it feels pretty normal. That's good. No, I I, I like the name. It's, I, I wish yeah. someone would call me Champ. Uh, I could start. I could start. I've always wanted to be called Maximus, though, and I was hoping that like you would tell me that you just kind of named yourself that, and that was actually a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a thing that I could then take on. But yeah. nothing yeah. stopping you, Todd. Okay. We are in Portland. There's still time. Okay, there's still time. 
So, okay, so let's let's sort of get to know you a little bit better. Uh, and so uh, just a couple of questions coming at you, kind of kind of sort of rapid fire. According to your family, what is your best quality? So we'll start off good, but we're we're going to we're going to knock this down soon. So we were all sitting around the table and you asked my family, all my kids yes. on cue would probably like just go, "Oh, yeah, I don't know." And they would like just be <laughs> waiting and waiting and just for the fun of it, just to make me uncomfortable. So I, I maybe that's a little bit of a tip, but we do have a good time as that's a good. family. So we enjoy teasing each other and enjoying each other's company and uh I was just playing ping pong with my youngest, he's 11 yes. and yes. uh one of our twins. And uh, he's getting really good at ping pong. So we have a good time as a family. Has he beat you yet? Oh, yeah. He's okay. beat me. And sometimes I beat him. So he's getting okay. uh, pretty good. Pretty competitive. Right. How yeah. about your most annoying habit, according to your family? Oh, definitely dancing. Anything that Whoa. tries to like move to a beat, my family just immediately, either they will want to video me and embarrass me on social media, or they'll tell <laughs> me to stop right there. Now, is that because you are always dancing? Or is it because when you do, you're kind of like, Elaine. Elaine Bennis yes. from Seinfeld. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. No, it's not because I'm always dancing. Uh, okay. It's because I'm just the just, worst. I just know rhythm okay. at none With, at all. Well, this begs a, uh, another question then. Um, when do you find yourself dancing the most? Is it with podcasts such as this or? <laughs> okay. Well, you caught me there. Usually it is food trucks in ba Babylon. Yes. And, uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. The kids will have something playing on Alexa or something in the kitchen. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I love music. Yeah. You know, I just can't move to it. So, <laughs> so I'm told. Okay. All right. So they're like, that's the, when he starts busting a move, everybody clear out. They're like, stop, just don't even try. Yeah. All right. To get you back into sort of a more familiar space. What's the best book? What's the best book you've read this year and why? So I am a big fan of a guy. He's an author. His name is Robert Caro. He has written uh, a four volume and yet to be a fifth and final volume on the life of Lyndon Johnson. And I really couldn't care at all about President Lyndon wow. Johnson. Uh, but Caro is such an amazing historian, researcher, and his sentences are he just, he's incredible. Okay. So I'm actually listening to them on audiobook for the second time. And he also oh has another book about um, uh, a city planner in New York City named Robert Moses. And so it's like about a thousand pages. Uh, that book won the Pulitzer. One of his volumes on LBJ won the Pulitzer. So he he's incredible. And he's in his 80s now. So wow. that's, I'm always glad to recommend Caro because it's just such a great reading experience. They're long, yeah, but they're so good. Oh my! He's got a golden pen. So w w just real quick, champ. There was a right answer. It was Cannabis and the Christian by Todd Miles. But yeah. we'll take this uh, as a second one. Yeah. Thanks uh, for playing. Well, we just have... assumed that. We, we <laughs> yeah, just we'll assumed assume that. We assumed that. That's right. Thanks. Uh, do you have? Uh, is there is there a crazy fact that you've learned about Johnson that's kind of popped up in this? That this sort about of, who? Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh, Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. Um, wow. There's just so much. I mean, he was pretty, in some ways, pretty awful, you know, individual. Um, he, uh, um, so there's one opening uh, paragraph in, in the first volume where, uh, the author Caro wants to communicate just how power hungry he was that he would live in this, uh, brick, uh, hotel, just a little tiny room in the basement of this brick hotel and come out the door in the morning to go and help at the Capitol Hill. He was a congressman's assistant and uh, it would be an alleyway of brick. And then as he soon turned the corner, he would see the white marble of the Capitol and the pillars and the dome and he would start to run. And that's the way, as he, as Caro describes it, uh, you, you can see, instead of just saying, hey, he's ambitious, you could see it because 
the lady he worked with would see him running by, up to the Capitol in the mornings. And at first she thought it was because he came from Texas and he was very poor and only had was like a light suit and no coat and it was cold when he had arrived, mm. but she would see him running in the summer. And she knew uh, <laughs> there was just something that compelled him and drove him. There's some uh, deep ambition there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to carry over on that a little bit. So put this year behind you. What is the book? We're all that trying has... to. <laughs> we are all trying to. What is the book that has has defined you the most? Um, and then uh, we'll think about a couple other things. But yeah, book that's defined you, your ministry, uh, your outlook the most. Not including the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, that's, we that's assume assumed Bible. as well. So yeah. we have Todd's yes, book, yes. and that's assumed. The <laughs> Bible, right. that's assumed. Yep. Uh, Ryan, I'm sure your emblems, you know, no, book, that's no, assumed too. Yeah, so. Don't assume that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I that's a really, really good question. And the one that pops to my mind is there's a book called Creation Regained mm. by, um, and as soon as you ask me, the name just evaporated. I'm getting old and my brain's getting leaky. Um, is that Walters? Yes, Albert Walters. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's such a meaningful book that I, I can't remember the, <laughs> the author. Uh, but I just love how he, it's a worldview book. And basically mm -hmm. he talks about how God made mm -hmm. uh, everything good and everything's broken because of the fall and Jesus makes all things new. But yeah. it just opened up categories that I think in one of the big takeaways from that book for me was, and we might get around to this later when we get to the the talking about Isaiah together. But he weds together the fact that if you've got God who made everything good and Jesus who makes everything new, then we're not putting a divide between God, the creator and God, the savior. Mm. And I love how he puts those two worlds together in a cohesive approach. And, um, yeah, I just think that's so, so pivotal, especially when we're talking about like not only the Christian life, but even as families raising kids, like, I mean, we shouldn't put this divide mm. between well, we're going to have family Bible time and then we're going to go play ping pong. You know, it's mm -hmm. like God's the creator right? He made games. He made fun. He made us to enjoy these things. And he also came and he saved us and he rescued us mm -hmm. from our sin. It's the same God. Thank God for that. So um, I think that uh, just a profound little book by Walters. You also have a podcast. And so we will get to your book in a second, but, but we want to talk to you about your podcast for just a bit. In yeah. the Word, on the go. What was the inspiration for that? Yeah. So, um, I think both of you guys have been on my podcast. So yeah, thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for doing that. Um, yeah. a number of years ago, uh, I was driving my kids to school. My wife and I trade off maybe every other day. And I thought, man, it'd be nice to have a podcast that lasts just a short distance while we're driving that gets into God's word. And then we can talk about it together as a family. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it. So, uh, that's what I did. And the basic premise is, is it's going to be short. So it's and we're going to talk to someone about one of their favorite verses of the Bible. And I'm going to ask them a series of questions. And so it's one verse for 10 minutes. And it's while you go about your day. So it's meant for being in the car. And it's for families. But I know that just grownups, you know, listen to it on their own as well, which is great. Um, and I'm blessed because I get to talk to guys like you. And you get to talk about one of your favorite verses. And uh, so I'm blessed listening to it. And I'm blessed when I listen with my kids. And really, you know, when you've kind of popped the hood on some of the rationale there too, is I ask a lot of the same questions every time. Like, mm -hmm. uh, what's the context here? Why is it important to you? Uh, what's it mean? Could you put it in your own words? How would you apply it to your life? Why is this so hard to live out? Things like that. Where's Jesus in this? Because I hope that if kids listen to this, that teaches them good method for how they open their Bible and that they can read it for themselves. Who is the hardest person to get on that podcast? Besides Todd, I know he's besides a bit Todd, of, a, a oh, bit of diva oh, thing going on there, but it just kind yeah. of drops off after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I don't know if it was hard, but uh, it was like, I felt like, hey, this is great. I had Russell Moore on the podcast oh, a while back. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. oh, that's great. It kind of to go through an intermediary, you know, and get yes. that set up. But, yeah. but that was, that was a You've lot of fun. Vetted. Yes. You've been vetted. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Or handled. Or, or slipped through. Just <laughs> yes, slipped nice. through. Nicely done. Nicely yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun to be on there. And it was even more fun to like listen to the podcast, uh, taking my kids to school for like weeks before I dropped the episode I was on. And they almost took the wheel and drove the car off the road, right? They were so like put off by the fact that I had set them up for so long. Just from oh, just moment. to hear you. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Like the <laughs> booing was intense. It's like, that's why we've been listening to this. Is so like, you could spring this on us. That's right. So, They're like, give uh, us the other people. <laughs> that's right. I don't want to hear from you. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. And Todd, you have the honor of being like every so often we'll do a, like a special episode where it runs for way more than 10 minutes. Yeah. And I think you may be wow. the only one I've done that with because it was just so good. And the content we did like the, <laughs> it was this, there you go. Well, we did a superhero theme and we just okay. went long talking about how, you know, um, superheroes can't save you. And here's how Jesus, uh, you know, your book, yeah. uh, totally you guys cool concept. Started yeah. dorking out. That's yeah. Good. Easy to do. Yeah, I'm a Easy big fan. to do. Yeah. Well, that was a gracious way for you to say that I was way too long on the. Uh, but but you know some people have a long commute, and I was thinking of them. <laughs> I was That's right. Them. Yeah. yeah. Are the uh, any other podcasts that you listen to regularly? Any other uh, types of media take in TV shows? Any kind of movie that you won't miss out on? Uh, podcasts. Let's see. I'm not a huge listen to podcast guy. I do. I mean, we've all been listening to what the rise and fall of Mars Hill recently. Um, you know, there's just all sorts of ones. There's ones on writing that I enjoy listening to. And then, you know, theology podcasts, but, uh, I'm mostly an audiobook guy, um, uh, mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. Nice. Like go for it. Tenet, Tenet was <laughs> so good, but it was so good on DVD or like watching it on Amazon because, the theater we were in, I don't know if the audio quality is so bad. I guess they needed uh, uh, Thomas to to help uh, Christopher <laughs> Nolan out with the audio because I could make out about half the dialogue in the theater. And in that movie, I mean, if you catch all the dialogue, you're still scratching your head saying, what yeah. is going on? Mm-hmm. So I was, I loved the movie and was totally lost and couldn't wait to go. Maybe it's a big thing. Like he knew he wasn't going to make a lot of mo- money because it was released in the middle of COVID in theaters. So I'm going to totally scramble the audio so that I get a lot of like DVD and uh, <laughs> download sales because people are going to have to come back and watch it a second time. So they got to get those subtitles at the bottom to see what's going on. Actually. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, he's got another movie coming out, Oppenheimer, World War II. So oh, that's just put right. that on. Yeah, put it on, yeah, your, that'll be good. on your to-do list Can't there. Wait. Yeah. Can't wait to revisit the old nuclear engineering days. Be that's right. That's, yeah. Yeah, we have an episode with Christopher Nolan and you talking about those things. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, so Wonders of... Uh, his love. Tell us about that book. We want to, we want to talk specifically about this wonderful Advent book that you've put together, predominantly for kids. But I know you're also looking to uh, to help parents out too. So the the full title is Wonders of His Love: Finding Jesus in Isaiah, a Family Advent Devotional. So so yeah, why why Advent for kids? Let's start there. So Advent means arrival. And I mean, I think when kids are thinking about Christmas, I mean, they are definitely thinking about the, the arrival of the presents and opening. And mm. so they're definitely looking forward. So I mean, it, it definitely moves uh, with the grain, right? As yeah. uh, we're talking about kids in Advent, they, they get that. And um, it's just an opportunity for parents to be intentional and uh, talk about what the season is 
Uh, I mean, you could do that in July, right? I mean, yeah. there's a, you don't have to wait till uh, December, but uh, it's a great opportunity for families to talk about about uh, the coming of our Savior. That's good. Anything uh, like not not COVID related in the Advent itself, but is there a greater need for this because families have been together in the house for so long? Uh, was there anything related to that 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 uh, motivated the book? He probably just went to a study to write the book. That's what it was. Is COVID drove him into a study. <laughs> He's like, I need yeah. to write several books right now. So speaking of several books right now, um, <laughs> I started writing this in the fall of 2019. Okay. All right. All right. And my vision originally was I'm going to write 25 devotions that kids can read one, you know, for 25 mm -hmm. days, right? Mm -hmm. Up to leading up to Christmas. And I worked with my publisher. I, this book is with New Growth Press. And I wrote this, they sent it back, make, told me to make lots of changes. I made lots of changes. They sent it back. So we did back and forth, back and forth, back and mm. forth. Uh, fast forward months, like actually maybe close to a year. And then they said, we just don't think this is going to work. Can you just start over? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, which actually, that turned out fine because what started over is what you have in your hands is the book Wonders of His Love. So mm. is it COVID-related? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> no. Is it... Um, the, the path is uh, was not as straightforward, which in some ways is so appropriate, right? Because we're thinking about uh, the promises made that God makes to us and the way he fulfills those promises. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not always a straight line, is there? You know, Isaiah felt very keenly the gap between the promise and the the fulfillment that would come in in years and years ahead. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe if there's any correlation there, even in the production, it's uh, mm -hmm. that God's plans are not always our plans. Yeah. Well, why why Isaiah? So I went to a conference, actually it was uh, ETS in San Diego, uh, mm -hmm. back in 2019. And I came home, you know, what it is when you go to conferences, you got to bring stuff back for your kids, right? So I brought home this book on the Psalms for my daughter mm -hmm. and she was nine at the time. And I was a little devotional. It was really charming. And it, um, it was, uh, had a lot of the comments in there from an Isaiah scholar, Alec Motier. And, uh, it, because he had written on the Psalms as well. Mm. And it made me think, oh, I wonder, you know, what is there in Isaiah? Because he's also got a similar, another book uh, on Isaiah for uh, for adults. Yeah. And so I just thought it'd be really interesting to get into Isaiah and read with the thought of doing a kid's book on Isaiah. And so I just started doing my devotions from Isaiah for months. And one of the things that just jumped off the page at me is all the images and word pictures that our Isaiah uses. And so um, I thought maybe this has got some traction. So you're, you're building your book around a structure that, that corresponds with those images or mm. those wonders of his love. Uh, you highlight, not to you know give away or spoiler alert, I guess, you, you highlight light, branch, shepherd, God with us, and bread of life. So why, why those specific images? I mean, you know, Isaiah is just throwing a ton of imagery, imagery at you. Why those mm -hmm. specific ones uh, as you sort of built this sort of Advent devotional for kids? Yeah, Ryan, you're right. I mean, some of the images he uses are not even related directly to the Messiah at all. You mm -hmm. know, there's images of axes and trees and thrones. There's one of a swimmer, even you know, a rebel. Mm -hmm. He's swimming away from the Lord. You know, it's like, that's just what a striking way to talk about 
are the effort we put out to, to get away from God sometimes. Um, but then there are these other images that are clustered around the one that he is saying will come and will set everything right. Mm. And some of the ones that has jumped at me, these are not, it's not exhaustive. There are other images of the Messiah is, uh, that are you Jesus saying a, is new, the... a new book is coming? Is that what you're saying? A second no. volume? <laughs> Sorry, go, yeah. keep going, keep going. You're writing three just to get the yes. other one done, right? Because yes, they'll right. say, we're not going to publish it. Um, so Jesus, the Jesus is the light of the world and he makes us see. So, you know, it's the people that sat in darkness. I've seen a great light. That's Isaiah. But then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So I tried to, uh, for each week of Advent, unpack one of these images that begins in Isaiah and then uh, comes to fruition and blossom in the person of Jesus in the Gospels. So we, it's called Wonders of His Love. That's a phrase, of course, from the uh, the Christmas Carol, Joy to the World. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to sing and I'm not going to dance. <laughs> or dance. Or dance. Uh, Come on, yeah, dance. Exactly. Come on, dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, the wor first week is the first wonder, and that is Jesus is the light of the world and he makes us see. Mm. Uh, the second wonder, the second week, is Jesus is the fruitful branch mm. and he gives us life. So, you know, we're going from uh, the stump, uh, the, the shoot out of the, the stump of David and Isaiah to mm -hmm. John 15, Jesus is the the true, the genuine vine, right? Uh, in contrast to Old Testament Israel. Uh, he's the fruitful branch and he gives us life. The third wonder, Jesus is the good shepherd and he carries us close. Week four, Jesus is God with us and he calms our fears. And then Christmas day, Jesus is the bread of life and he feeds us freely. Okay, and so 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 that's the biblical structure to, to how you're orienting this. It's like about mm -hmm. a week, five lessons or five 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 devotions per per section, right? Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, the okay. uh, I mean, Advent is such a busy season, right? December, yeah. so there's school programs, church programs, all sorts of activities, plus shopping. Uh, it's just life is ridiculously busy. Maybe getting ready mm -hmm. to travel, so we wanted to produce a book that had the devotional readings were first of all short, something mm -hmm. that would be simple mm -hmm. enough for even a family to read out loud with, you know, a two or three year old. And even if they didn't get it, uh, they're not going to be squirming for long. Um, and then it's not even seven days a week and you've got to keep up or you're going to be in trouble. Uh, we've tried this before. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so this is five days and it really, it's kind of like a bowl of marbles where you can just kind of reach in the family and pick out which works oh, nice. for you. Yeah. So you could do one day a week if you really wanted to. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they're standalone. Uh, but then there's also activities and crafts. There's some fun sidebar things as well. Christmas ornament you can download and color. The kids can put on the tree. So yeah. there's lots of options if you want to do more. Okay, so my experience, the normal Advent structure is either a story, and then a verse, then a prayer, or or a verse, then a story, then a prayer, unless mm -hmm. you're doing like Jotham's journey or, or, or yeah. whatever, right? Yep. Um, yep. But, but, but you have more than that. So, so you have... Uh, Picture it, closer look, promise to remember, challenges to accept, family fun as, as well. Um, what was your experience with that? Why would you uh, add all those other things to that normal formula of, of, of Advent book? Oh, probably because the first reason is I didn't know there was a normal formula. <laughs> okay. That's the best uh, place to start right there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just... Great. Sheer ignorance. Then. <laughs> let's, <laughs> right. let's start with uh, the deficit there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I really did start off with this other book, which was a devotional, which started with, there's a top of the page of scripture, then comments, maybe close of the scripture, maybe even a prayer. So maybe something a little more mm -hmm. traditional, like a turn okay. the page devotional, yep. one page a day. Uh, but then really just what built off that and what carried through to the final book is just these images that just jump off the page at you about who Jesus is. 
And um, you know, we just really wanted to kind of bring those to the fore and give families a chance to use those as best fit the demands of their schedule. Yeah. And you, you mentioned in there like crafts even. So, so there's options for, yeah. for, for families. And they're kind of related to the theme. So like the, what, the first week is what Jesus is the light of the world and you're making mm -hmm. sugar cookies, but they're star sugar cookies, right? So oh, there's light, ooh. right? Yeah. Well, that, that was one of my follow-ups. I, I was wanting to know where did these activities and crafts come from? Are, are these your ornament designs? Are these your recipes? Did you come up with all of this? Yeah. How uh, good is that cookie recipe? How good <laughs> is that cookie recipe? So I think I found that recipe somewhere and, you know, didn't make, make sure I wasn't like violating any kind of intellectual property or <laughs> was whatever. It, was it in the book of Isaiah? Did you get it from Isaiah? <laughs> oh, come on, please, please. Oh, it's like, the, it's, no, it's from Ezekiel. You know, it takes oh, like yes. lentils, nice. lentils and flour and mixes yeah. it. Like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a there. horrible cookie. Yeah, yeah yes. terrible. No, no. Yeah. Uh, Cooked so, over no, what? This, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the follow up to Ezekiel bread, right? Uh, yep. Isaiah cookies. Um, <laughs> Yum. <laughs> but this is, uh, there's just things I came up with. So, there's an activity about, yeah. you know, glow sticks, you know, that mm -hmm. uh, is make them into a little ring toss, but it's light of the world. So, you got glow sticks. Or you could, what's another one? Oh, do a scavenger hunt, but do it with all the kids have flashlights. So, yeah. they're just, it's, it's you know, just common yeah. activities, but they're just, tangentially related to the theme for the week yeah and each one of the, each 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 uh section has or, or each wonder if you will mm -hmm. uh it has its own ornament as well so is that the designer of the book creating those or are yeah, you guys talking that, about that or yeah that was uh the designer jeremy slagle he lives in ohio and yeah. he did a great job with the book and so he came up with a different ornament that you could print off and there's a qr code that you can go to and yeah. download and print off and then your kids can color and then cut them out and put on the tree. And there's the little uh, wonder of it each week, you know, Jesus is the light of the world and he makes us see those thoughts are printed right on the, on the ornament. Um, aesthetically, this is a beautiful book. It's, it, it, it just like grabs you. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little, uh, about your relationship with the, the, the illustrator, the designer. Is that, uh, were you guys talking about the themes? Were you talking about the content? How, how did that work? So the publisher, New Growth Press, they're the ones that uh, worked with, found this guy, Jeremy, and uh, he runs a studio. I think he lives in, Col I think it's Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I've never met him. And, uh, it's your old stopping and grounds. And we, I know, I thought, well, hey, I thought I might know this guy, but I, I don't. Um, he, um, so I didn't actually work with him directly. Maybe there were some emails along the way, but uh, New Growth has uh, a really strong aesthetic design mm -hmm. uh, thing that they, they're that's very important to them as a publisher. So they're making sure that they're vetting the illustrators they get, the designers they get. And then we work back and forth. Like there was one design where uh, for, there's a sidebar that says, was Jesus really born in a stable? It's just an extra feature. And I'm working off of the research of Kenneth Bailey. And he says, actually, probably wasn't born in a stable. But yeah. here on the podcast, I'm not going to give away what the real answer is. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in order to kind of visualize what Bailey is describing and what he thinks really is going on where Jesus was born, then we had to work back and forth to kind of craft the appropriate uh, location so that it was easy to understand. Well, you have some fun stuff in there, including the story of, of uh, Santa Claus showing up at the uh, Ecumenical Council of Nicaea. So, uh, <laughs> did, did... That's always left out of uh, like the yeah. Santa Claus coming to town. Yeah, yeah. yeah which, what yeah, if we which... could do a, a redo that? 
We should. Santa Claus is coming to Nicaea. Nice, nice. Uh, Sketchy. So did did Santa Claus actually punch Arius? Is he a good role model? <laughs> I think I heard two questions there. Yeah, um, several, not one. Not even a question in there, but. <laughs> <laughs> So my understanding, uh, you're the, uh, uh, you guys are the resident theologians here, right? But uh, my understanding is, is that Saint Nick, Nicholas of Myra or Mira, however you say it, yep. mm-hmm. uh, went to the Council of Nicaea and was so yep. enraged over the heretic Arius that he, uh, the first Christmas punch, right? That's what we're there talking about. Um, yeah. I think I read Michael Reeves said that. I thought that's yes. just brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, eventually, you know, St. Nicholas becomes Santa yeah. Claus. So technically, right. Santa Claus went to the Ecumenical Council of Nicaea. Yeah. So who yeah. knew, right? And this is in your book. You're promoting yes. this amongst children. Yeah. Yes, uh, <laughs> definitely in promoting violence among the youth of our country. That's You've picked up on you that. S- you said there's something to stand for. Some yeah. things to stand for. See, so <laughs> fun f- Fun facts in in this Advent book uh, that that Santa Claus shows up at the first great ecumenical council. The Bishop of Rome does not. Oh, the, the Bishop of Rome was not there. That's for the next one. That's for the next devotional. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Can kids do biblical theology? And sort of connected to that, why are you doing biblical theology here and not sort of the typical morality tales? You know, I think <clears throat> it's one thing to say like, what does the Bible say? about, you know, a certain statement of truth, Mm -hmm. right? But when Mm -hmm. we go to God's word, we're also looking at how does it say what it says, right? So, for example, if we go to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we all know that passage at the beginning of Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about you'll love the Lord with your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and these will be on your heart and um, before your eyes, and then you'll teach them to your kids. So, I mean, we all kind of go to that first part. But then there's some interesting family slash parenting dynamics in the last half of six, where uh, it says, if in days to come, your children ask you, what do these commands mean? Here's what you're tell- to tell them. The Lord, your God brought you out of Egypt. You tell them a story. I mean, that's stunning. I mean, if my, if my kid said to me, so why can't I go to my friend's house? And I said, well, let me tell you a story. You know, the eyes are going to start rolling, you know, uh, but God knows that the right kind of behavior that that he is expecting from us is rooted in and makes total sense in the story that he is writing in this world. And so I, I really do think that when we think about biblical theology and we think about this story, God is putting together the things that I, you know, we tend to pull apart. We tend to pull apart what he wants from us and the stories that he tells us. And he's like, no, this is my story and your story. And we're keeping your behavior and truth mm. and the story of the real story of the whole world uh, together, united. So if you were to talk to a, a child of, of, of whatever age who, who has just gone through your book, uh, just finished Wonders, what would be a question you would want to ask him or her? And what would you hope that, that the answer would be? Like, what's the goal? I would think I'd want to ask them something like, what are some areas that you are more inclined to trust Jesus more in your life as you think about him now as the light that enables you to see and the branch that gives you life and the bread that nourishes your soul and these other images uh, how does that make you trust him more? Well, uh, let's take a break, and then we will be right back. 
Hi, my name is John Kwok, and I'm the Assistant Director of the Doctor of Ministry program here at Western Seminary. Western's D-Min is an affordable, cohort-based program designed to provide ministry leaders with advanced training in specific areas of ministry. For this upcoming Spring 2022, we'll be rolling out two new cohorts in the areas of theology and ministry and biblical languages in ministry. Our faculty include internationally recognized ministry leaders and scholars like Scott Manich, Todd Wilson, Mark Strauss, Ronald Allen, and more. For more information, visit westernseminary.edu. Now, back to the show. Well, we are back with uh, Champ Thornton, and we are thinking about his his new Advent book. A a, a question from the food trucks, uh, the 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 unbelieving world, the unbelieving world, and and that would be why even train kids in the gospel? Isn't it better for them to choose their own path? Isn't it best uh, for parents to have more of an a, a hands-off approach heavens. I mean, we're allowing them to choose their own gender now. Why would we want to indoctrinate them in this way? Yeah, I think, first of all, it's a really good question. And on one level, it makes sense, right? Because we all have our own thoughts about things. And we can change, you know, we can have our own thoughts about the world, but we can't change the facts of the world. And, you know, I, it's... So really, in sense, you know, I, I can have an idea about how I can live in this world, but if it actually kind of goes against the way the world actually is, all I'm going to do is hurt myself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's sort of someone said, it's like, if you go against the grain of the universe, you're going to get splinters, right? And I think that's just true. And we can say it's not true in the lifestyle choices or identity choices that people have. But if we ever started to say that same dynamic, that same reality about the way people engineered cars or buildings. I mean, the lawsuits, they were, you know, General Motors would go out of business. I mean, you have to live in the world that really is. So in many ways, you know, that isn't, isn't that really what we're called to do as parents, right? Is to help our kids live synced up with reality. And so, you know, you and I, we can kind of say like, here's what we think reality is. But what's amazing is that, is what if we had kind of insider tips about how the world is actually made? Things that you can't put in a test tube and you can't evaluate clinically. And that's what we have in the Bible. And what's so remarkable is that when you open the Bible, it's really probably not what you expect. What you get when you open the Bible, it's so earthy. So Mm -hmm. instead of getting, you know, high-flown philosophical language, when you open up this prophet Isaiah, for example, he uses images that come out of daily life, word pictures that root the truth that he's trying to communicate about who God is and the way he made the world to work. He roots it in like very practical things. He talks about bread. He talks about water. He talks about uh, animals. He talks about fruit trees. I mean, he talks about these things that we can we can get our hearts around and get our minds around that are actually rooted in reality. And so when he, God wants to talk to us about how he made the world to work, he doesn't reference things that we can't connect with. He's talking about the world that he made. And so I think in many ways, what we're trying to do is help our kids live in sync with reality. And God's word is so good about helping us understand what that reality is. All 
All right, so, so Champ, to help us think through the connection between your writing ministry and your, your ministry sort of at large, if you will, mm-hmm. could you just tell us just uh, if you have a philosophy of ministry, just a, a, a broad statement there wh- with your writing, uh, with the church, those kind of things, is there something that's sort of underpinning it all? Yeah, so when I talk with my kids about how we should live in this world. Like a minute ago, I mentioned like we need to live synced up with reality. That is one of the Mm -hmm. goals that my wife and I have for our kids is that we want them to leave the house at 18 in sync with the world that is, right? Mm -hmm. So if I protect them overly much, then I'm really not, I'm not preparing them well. If I just don't protect them at all, I'm not preparing them well. If Mm -hmm. uh, they don't understand just kind of how the world works kind of on a wisdom level about whether that's when they're little, I, we need to teach them that, you know, you don't play around the stairs, right? Because that's how you get hurt when they get older. It's like, <laughs> we don't gossip because you're going to get hurt or we're not loose mm. uh, sexually because that's how you get hurt. And God has talked about these things. Um, but also there's the reality, not just of the world he's made, but there's the reality of the fact that you're a sinner and you've got to factor that in. Mom and dad are sinners. And so we need to be actively repenting. Uh, Jesus is the savior. And so there's all these realities, reality stemming from God, the creator, reality stemming from God, the savior. And uh, we want our kids to leave the house fully synced up with the world that truly is, whether it's creational or spiritual. And one of the ways we talk about that on a more um, granular level, as it were, is that Christ-likeness or spiritual maturity or just maturity looks like this. And here's the sentence I use is moving toward people and problems in love and wisdom. And so the really every word of that counts. And we talk about moving toward. So sometimes our tendency is to not move. And this applies even to pastoral ministry too, right? So sometimes moving toward means not doing nothing. It means taking initiative. It doesn't mean moving away. So we're also always thinking moving toward, moving toward. And we can point to the Bible. Jesus moved toward us by coming right uh, to this earth. Uh, we move toward people. That's the 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 second great command, love God and love your neighbor. We move toward people and we also move toward problems. So sometimes it's easy just to enjoy people, but not to be uh, um, doing anything about the basket of laundry that just showed up in the room and we need to fold the laundry. So it's like whatever the problem is, we're moving toward people and problems uh, and we do it in love and wisdom because I think there's some pretty passive aggressive ways to move toward people and problems, unhelpful ways to do that. We moved forward in love and we move forward in wisdom. And sometimes that wisdom would mean, as I'm talking to one of my kids, uh, we probably don't engage. I mean, you know, there may be some people that you think mm, we're, that's probably an unsafe scenario to go into, whatever that might be, especially as a child. And so we want them to be moving toward people and problems in love and wisdom. And so that is one way that I've tried to encapsulate philosophy of ministry with children. And as I'm thinking about theology and how we integrate all those things into, into one sentence. That's great. So uh, as we think about your, your ministry, there's, there seems to be a lot of spheres that, that you're in. And I, I love that, um, that you're, you're, you're in those different spheres. So just help us think about um, what Champ Thornton's writing ministry is. So you, how many books have you written thus far? About 10. About 10. Okay. So what's driving you to that? Uh, what's, what's the hope in that? So when I was 29, I had, was just starting to become a senior pastor and I ended up with a um, DVT, that's a blood clot. And ended up in the hospital, found out I had also a pulmonary embolism. That's where the clot goes through your heart and into your lungs. People die from that. And I'm 29 and I'm thinking I'm invincible. And then God 
totally puts right in front of me, no, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. And uh, come to find out I have a genetic blood disorder that inclines me toward clotting. And uh, so you're 29 and you think you got the world by the tail and you know, you got decades, right? And then you realize like, yeah, none of that's promised. You know, life is shorter than you think. And so probably for the next 10 years of my life, and I'm not saying it's healthy, but I probably thought about dying at least, you know, like that the reality of dying uh, uh, probably every day, you know, um, hopefully I didn't dwell on it, but um, it was just, it was just a companion. It was always kind of on my shoulder. And I think when you have that mindset, you do think about what am I passing on to my kids? And uh, so I wrote a book called The Radical Book for Kids. It came out in 2016. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that book is my, well, we're having fun in the book too, but a lot of it is, I want my kids to know this. That was a big mm -hmm. criteria for what am I going to write about? So we're talking about what the Bible is, how the Bible works, what's the big picture? Um, what about union with Christ? You know, mm. uh, what about people in church history? What about theology? These are things that are uh, not unimportant, right? These are uh, very significant things that God taught me that I want to make sure my kids had a handle on. So I don't anticipate, you know, uh, dying anytime soon, but I do, uh, I have found that uh, that has been a, a driving motivation in my life. And you know, I, kids are smart. You know, you can, mm. you can take big truths and you can put them where kids can understand. And I think pastorally speaking, and as a writer, one of the, um, one of the most important things is you've got to know your stuff. I mean, if you don't know it, mm. if you're having a hard time communicating it, it's because you don't know it well enough. So what do they say? Like with sermon prep, if you're trying, if you're struggling to find an illustration for the thing you're, the concept you're talking about, don't go look at illustrations go back to the text because mm. as soon as you understand it better, the illustration will just come naturally. You'll find it. So I do feel like it's so important to work hard as pastors and as writers to know the things that we are uh, trying to explain and not just the words, but the things, right? So this is something I really appreciate about, uh, you know, Kevin Van Hooser. He's a writer that we've all read and Van Hooser is so helpful in thinking through like it's, yeah, the words are important, but you know, you realize the words point to reality and that's what we want to do as writers is not just make people understand the definition of words, but understand the reality that words are pointing to. And that's one thing I've tried to do uh, in a as you know limited way in my writing is just point, point kids, point the readers to the realities that God has revealed in his word. And I hope in a way that draws them to him, because in reality, what's more beautiful than God? I mean, if we enjoy the world he's made, if we enjoy coffee in the morning, uh, these all came out of God. Like Spurgeon said, you know, uh, the, the, universe, the universe lay in the mind of God like unborn forests in an acorn cup, you know, and everything we enjoy comes out of him and his joy. And so if we can point our children to the real God who made the real world, um, mm. you know, we're going to serve them well. Which of your books was your favorite to write? There's a book called Why Do We Say Goodnight? It's a book that's illustrated, probably takes 120 seconds or less to read, and it's kind of written in a little rhyme. Um, so it was fun to read because I actually I got the rough draft done by 10 o'clock one morning. <laughs> it was really short, but there was a lot of revising, of course. But um, but it's, it's a short little story about a, a little girl's getting tucked in at night. And she says, you know, basically, why do you say night is good? Why do we say good night if it's dark and you leave me all alone and I can't see a thing? 
And uh, the mom explains, well, God made day and he also made night. So it's from mm. him. And uh, you may not be able to see, but God can see in the dark just as clearly as in the light. And I may leave, but the good shepherd, he stays by your side. He never, mm. he always watches over you. So it, that came, uh, many of those same truths came from just conversations with my daughter as I was tucking her in or retucking her in yeah, uh, on certain was, nights. Uh, yeah, autobiographical there a little bit. A little so. bit. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you've got a book coming out next year, uh, The Serpent Slayer, is that correct? Yeah, The Serpent Slayer and The Scroll yeah. of Riddles. Okay, so this seems to be a little bit, maybe a different genre, maybe a different age group. Mm -hmm. um, why, why that book? What are you doing there? Yeah, so it's it's a middle grade fiction book, and I've never written fiction before, so mm -hmm. uh, yeah, if there's ever a second one, I hope it's better than the first one. Um, <laughs> the... A couple years ago, there's a guy named Andy Nacelli. He wrote yeah. a book mm -hmm. in uh, on a short little book on the biblical theology of serpents and dragons in in the Bible, and he talks about you know the image of Satan in the garden, and then you see this unfold through Scripture, and then of course Christ comes and he's the fulfillment of Genesis three fifteen, the serpent slayer. So he unpacks that for for adults, and um, it's sort of an accessible read. He wrote a seven page little version for for kids and took it to New Growth Press and said, "Hey, can you?" Do you want to publish this? And they said, can you make it more kid-friendly? And he said, can you get Champ to do that? <laughs> and uh, so just hit fast forward. And uh, now it's not seven pages. It's like 130, I guess. And yeah. it's all wrapped into this fiction story where a brother and sister get sucked into an ancient scroll. And basically they, uh, they hop through the scroll from one adventure to the next, kind of along a one from one biblical theology event to the next. And oh, the goal fun. is they've got to solve the riddle and get out of the scroll and get back home. So you've thought a lot about children's ministry, it, it seems. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot, a lot of your writing has been aimed there as, a, as, as both a pastor and then as an author. Uh, how's the church in America doing when it comes to children's ministry? Is there anything that, that you would like to change or, or, or to speak into to, to do something different, perhaps? So I think when it comes to kids' ministry, it's easy to have a philosophy of ministry and mm -hmm. I really appreciate the writings of a, a guy that name you would know, John Frame, where he mm -hmm. often says, like, there's probably a handful of different perspectives we can have on a particular topic. And I do think like having a more uh, multi-perspective view when it comes to kids ministry is probably healthy because what tends to happen is someone will grab one thing in God's word about children's ministry and it lights their fire. And this is their consuming passion. And you can see it. You can see it in the way they write. You can see it in the ministries that they lead. You can see it in all sorts of ways. And there's nothing about that to say except thank God for that. And it could be that we're going to make things kid-friendly. It could be that we're going to be very God-focused. It can be that we're going to be uh, using good educational method. It can be it's very gospel-centered. I mean, we're going to... or. Um, even working on a virtue, virtue training. And you want to say like good to all those, but I think we need to be able to put those things together uh, because God puts them together. And so I, I do think that it's, so, you know, we have this un, unfair, un, uh, false dichotomies between, you know, is children's ministry the area of the church and uh, uh, we're, we're helping parents or is it the ministry mm -hmm. of parents? And so the church's role is to equip them. And I would say, well, absolutely. Yes. You know, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think, you know, with as much as churches can not 
put all their eggs in one basket. We are a church that does blank with kids. We need to not just equip parents, but equip parents and teach children. Uh, because I do think if we do put our eggs in one basket, we're going to be leaving things out that God designed to be put together for the health of the next generation. Mm, that's good. Well, should uh, pastors uh, who, who are preaching on Sunday, should they speak to kids intentionally, do you think, to, to take the time to, to address them? You think in Sunday morning service? Yeah, on, in, in a sermon. Sunday morning service, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if the kids are there, then I think mm. you've always got to have in mind who's in front of you. And, you know, does that mean that you kind of like step out of the sermon, as it were, for a moment and say, no, kids, let me talk to you? I mean, that that's one way to do it. Uh, it could be that you have them in mind from beginning to end and you just state the truth in a way that hopefully the, you know, the eight-year-olds in the congregation can track along with you. So I, I really am not advocating for any one particular form. I think that, um, you know, the Twitter world we live in, it's good to try to have, uh, um, I mean, people tweet stuff, right? So I'm I'm taking the conversation in one direction, but I think we're going to like eventually kind of wander back home to the answer to your question uh, that, you know, we tweet things and people tweet things and it looks like just ridiculous nonsense. Like, how could that even be true? Well, I mean, Twitter is universal, right? It goes out all over, but, you know, often wisdom is local. And so mm. I do think that, you know, pastors need to know who you're talking to, who's in front of you. And it could be that stepping out of the sermon is the right thing. It could be the whole sermon. It could be that you know, is accessible for children. You could have a children's minister or someone else give the children's lesson before the message. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that pastors could serve their children well, or kick them out, send them to kids ministry and <laughs> let them handle it. That's good. Well, we're already in this space uh, here right now talking about uh, trying to help pastors as they think through these categories. So let me just sort of put a, put a, a you know, a, a bow on it and ask you uh, two questions. Uh, why teach kids theology and how do you do it well? So why teach kids theology? Well, I'm just going to go back to what we said earlier, and that is uh, theology is it's the tr it's the true story of the whole world. I mean, this is what's real in this world. And so um, how can we not tell them what's really true? Um, I like sometimes I like to think of biblical theology as mm -hmm. uh, when uh, the president or the governmental leader comes out to a press conference and makes a statement. And he's making that or she is making that statement in his or her own words, own priority, own agenda, own length, own emphasis, and um, there's that needs to be listened to. And then when that when the uh, government official is done and takes questions, then that's systematic theology. So when we go to the Bible, God has spoken and told us what is real in this world, and yet you know it's not an exhaustive book, and He didn't intend it to be that. And so He does. He also expects us to think, connect dots, ask questions. Well, what about what about this? What about that? And uh, so when we go to God's word and we ask those questions, then I think it's um, uh, it's important for us to, in systematic theology to be going back to God's word and looking for the answers. And it may not be exactly what he said, like it may not be what the message of Isaiah or Matthew or Galatians is all about, but he's expecting us to, to think canonically, to think across the scriptures, uh, because um, we're wanting to discover uh, what's real in this world and real about himself and real about ourselves based on what he's told us. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, that's evidenced really, really well in Wonders of His Love, this fact that there is this mm -hmm. a connection between this, this transcendent God uh, who also uh, creates a world where he can provide symbol, image, metaphor of who he is in a way that captures our 
imagination, both both in a mental category, but an emotional and even a tangible one. The fact that we can come face to face, actually feel, taste, bread, these kind of concepts, and the fact that that's what we were created to do, uh, and that's what we were created to to see and to look for. Um, I think you've done a done done a great job, not just offering us uh, so, some some ideas and information to walk us through, but you've done a good job of modeling how to mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. Uh, theologically in these categories uh, as parents, mm-hmm. and simultaneously for the kids to 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 sort of reimagine uh, everything that God has done for us uh, in Christ uh, through these images and through the beauty that he presents to us in the world. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, thank you for doing, providing a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful book, but also a wonderful model. I think that's really, really good and really, really helpful. So real quick champ, uh, a few sort of, uh, sort of fire, fire at will kind of questions here for you, sort of uh, real rapid fire. Um, what, uh, you, you may have heard this, but or you, you may you may know this. Is there a strange place where you've heard your books have ended up? I mean, is there a place that you're just like, how did it end up there? Yeah. So uh, I had a lady blog one of my books, and I mean, the book is I'm I'm a Protestant. In fact, I'm a Baptist. You know, and uh, maybe some Baptists would say, yeah, we're not Protestants, but that's a whole other story. Uh, then it was like uh, she was promoting it on a Catholic. On a Catholic blog, I'm like, oh, who yeah. knew? How, how did this get here? Uh, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. All right, favorite Christmas carol. So as we're in this Christmas spirit, let's just close it out with some Christmas ideas here. Favorite Christmas carol? Favorite Christmas carol. You know, there's one. I, I'm not even sure I know all the words, but the melody is just amazing. So that's probably the worst answer, you know, for <laughs> uh, for people who are listening to the podcast. But there's a song called the Wexford Carol. Oh, it's just beautiful. I yeah. love it. Okay, very good. Nice. Uh, favorite Christmas movie, if you have one? Elf. Okay. Oh, Ryan. All right. Yes, that's yours. That is So, Todd, what's yours? Uh, Christmas Story. Christmas ah, Story. Okay. Yeah, that one was before Elf. That that was... That is well entrenched in my family's life. So, yep. on the gifts that we were given, I was, uh, I was Randy. It didn't oh. say Ryan. It said Randy. <laughs> okay, and my, nice. my brother was Ralph. Ralphie. <laughs> right. So that's how deep it went. Pink bunny suit and Alpha Rob. <laughs> that's right. Yes. I made Rob wear that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. And the final question here, favorite type of Christmas cookie? Oh, my grandmother made a ginger snap, but it's not mm. snap. It's like they're soft, like ginger cookies. Mm. Mm. The best. Okay. Good. Uh, probably molasses sugar cookie. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. My, my wife makes these uh, sort of three-level shortbread cookies that oh. uh, you got to kind of hide them away from the kids uh, <laughs> if you want any. Uh, but they go really, really fast. They are they are wonderful and lovely. Well, Champ, thanks so much. I think that you have written an, an excellent book. Uh, parents, if, if you have any proclivity at all for biblical theology, I think this is the Advent book uh, for you. So, so thanks so much. This was a really fun time for us. Uh, thanks for writing, and thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, keep an eye on the website, too. We hope to hope to give a few away, uh, so check back on the Western uh, Seminary uh, Twitter feed there. I think it'll be uh, uh, showing you how to, how to sign up for that. Uh, we want to get these in the hands of as many parents as we can. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, yeah, and we hope you guys have a merry, merry Christmas. <laughs>